0: Well, it's good to be here this morning. Um, Two weeks ago, our family, we went to Ohio to celebrate my dad's 70th birthday. And uh, so thankful for Pastor Eden, um, just the the message that he gave uh, two weeks ago, centering around what it means to take up your cross daily and to follow after Jesus, to walk in his footsteps Last week, uh, one of our longtime missionaries, a guy by the name of Kurt Glebe, was here, and he uh, talked about Yom Kippur, or the, the Day of Atonement, and how the Old Testament scriptures and uh, the rituals point forward to Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And uh, if, if you happen to miss either of those messages, or if you just want to listen to them again, I'd encourage you to go to our church website, to to check them out, to listen to them there. This fall, we have been doing this sermon series that we're calling Like the Christ. And in this series, what we're doing is we're taking some of the key themes, the the key teachings that we see Jesus coming back to over and over and over again. Teachings that, that seem to be at the core of what it means to be a follower of his. An image that we talked about a few weeks ago was this idea of a trainee. That if we're going to be trained by Jesus, if we're going to be his trainees, that there are certain things that we need to learn, certain things that we need to put to practice in our everyday lives. Three weeks ago now, um, we talked about the idea of of love being at the top of the list of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Particularly, we looked at that passage in Mark chapter 12 where Jesus talked about the centrality of uh, putting our hope and having this love for God and an expanding love for the people around us. This morning, what we want to do is kind of come back to that idea again. but, But this time, we want to look at this theme from a little bit different angle, from a little different perspective. And we want to talk about how do you love people who don't love you? How how do we love people who are coming after us? How do we love people who are our enemies? And so if you have a Bible with you this morning, or you can grab one in the pew rack in front of you, open that Bible app, but join me, if you will, in Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. As we come to our text today, I want to just give you a little bit of background here, And, and Jesus has gathered some of his disciples around him. The crowds, these large crowds are there around him as well. They're listening to him teach. And Jesus is teaching in this area called Galilee. It's up in the northern part of Israel. It's around the Sea of Galilee. Now, we have a picture this morning of what this area looks like. And we're going to put it up on the screen But the Bible tells us that it was on a flat area. It was in a plain that Jesus began to teach. And I imagine that the Sea of Galilee might have been able to be seen in the background as Jesus is teaching there. And it seems peaceful. It seems serene. But that is somewhat deceptive. I I mean, you imagine this location and the, uh, the calmness, the tranquility of this image here. But but that's not what the people in northern Galilee were experiencing. This was occupied territory. The the Roman government had come in with their army. They had conquered the area. They had brought in their pagan Roman practices. They had brought financial oppression with them in their taxation. They, They taxed the people heavily in order to pay for these luxury palaces for the kings of the Roman Empire, to pay for the temples In the Roman Empire, the Jewish people didn't like this and they did not get along with the Roman authorities. And Jesus gathers the the people together, he gathers his disciples together, and and he says, If you want to be one of my trainees, you need to learn how to love these people. You need to learn how to love your enemies. In, In looking at this subject this morning, we want to explore three areas. First, we want to look at some of the commands that Jesus gives about loving our enemies. And then we want to look after the commands. We want to look at what Jesus says. He gives some case studies, some real life examples. And then finally, we want to see what Jesus has to say about motivations. I mean, why would a person ever want to do this? So you got your Bible open, Luke chapter 6, and I want to begin with the commands here that Jesus gives. And here's what we read in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 and 28. Jesus says this, But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. So we have four commands here. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who abuse you. Now, this first command here, love your enemies. I think it would be helpful for us this morning if we could just simply bring someone to mind here. Who is it that you are struggling to get along with? Who is it that seems to be coming after you? Who is it that you have been hurt by. Now, now I know just in bringing this up that some of you have encountered some incredibly mean people in your life who have done some absolutely horrific things. And in a 40-minute sermon, uh, we're not going to have the ability to uh, do justice to all of that. In fact, we are going to barely scratch the surface this morning as it comes to this topic today. But but I do believe that the Bible gives us some powerful truths that, that can help us to process the difficult situations of our lives. I think this morning that rather than trying to, come, to uh, 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 come and think about some of the deep hurts that maybe we've experienced in life. Maybe someone abandoning us who we really loved or maybe just being constantly abusively ridiculed and attacked by someone. That that rather than thinking about that, rather than starting with these really deep things, that, that maybe we should think about something that's a little less involved. We might even call this an enemy light. An enemy light. Maybe it's the person who just irritates you. They irritate you because everything in their life seems to be in perfect order. I mean, their kids are all put together. They, they, every time that they go somewhere, they always show up on time. They, they, they always have everything organized in their life, and that's just not you. It's kind of an enemy light. C.S. Lewis, a guy who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, the, Lord, the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, he would say it this way. If we really want to learn how to forgive and how to love our enemies, perhaps we had better start with something easier than the Gestapo. He's saying, you know what, if we're going to wrap our minds around this topic of loving our enemies, of forgiving our enemies, maybe we need to start with something that's not overly deep, maybe something that's not such a complicated thing, And so that's where we want to kind of start this morning. And my hope is that as we learn some skills and learn some responses on how to interact with an enemy light, that maybe then we would be able to crack the door open on how to deal with some of the bigger enemies in our lives. So, who comes to mind? Don't think about the person who stole from your family. Think about that, that person who has the barking dog who stole your sleep at night. Think, think about that overly competitive brother-in-law. Think about that guy in the office who is just, he won't ever talk to you. He's always talking over you. He's always talking around you. Maybe you're in school and, and, and you're just constantly being interrupted by someone when you're trying to get your work done, when you're trying to listen to the teacher. This person just keeps interrupting you. I want you to bring that kind of a person to mind, an enemy light. Think about that person. I want you to then look at these commands again. And Jesus says, love your enemies. And I think that we could insert the word by here. Love your enemies by doing good to those who hate you, by blessing those who curse you, by praying for those who abuse you. Now, for those people who were standing there as Jesus was giving this teaching, this was not a new concept for them. They had their Old Testament scriptures. In the Old Testament, there are commands on how you should interact, on how to be good to people that you don't get along with very well. Exodus chapter 23, we read this instruction from God that he gives to his people. He says, if you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey, going astray, wandering off, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving it with, uh, leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. So this is a farming culture. Uh, there, there was oxen and there were donkeys. It would be like having a tractor or a pickup truck today. I mean, everything that, that you would do revolved around these animals. I mean, uh, you think you couldn't plow your field without having an oxen. You, you didn't have the ability to process your grain. You, you couldn't thresh your grain without an ox. Donkey uh, was the way to get your supplies back and forth from your farm to wherever it is that you were going no, no ability to get your produce to the marketplace to sell it. That would be a huge problem. This is absolutely essential to their livelihood in that day. So what's the point of these commands? Well, imagine that there's a guy who doesn't get along with another guy in the community. And this person's ox gets out of his pen and it's wandered off. And this guy finds this ox and he brings it back To the original owner, to his enemy. I mean, can you imagine what that would have to do to the relationship? Because it's kind of hard to carry a grudge against someone who is so concerned about your livelihood. It's a first step of kind of mending this relationship, this enemy relationship. And I think that's what Jesus is getting at here in this command. You love your enemy by doing good to them. It's a way of breaking down the walls of a bad relationship and beginning to build up a a good relationship. And it extends beyond our actions to our words. It says, bless those who curse you. It's talking about how we talk about people, especially when they're not around. How are we to speak about people? Well, we are to bless them. With our words. And then that fourth commandment. Pray for them. Now I I know maybe you hear that commandment. And you say okay that's a commandment that I can get behind. I'll pray for them all right. And, and, And you pray dear God you are the God of fire and brimstone. Would you please rain down your justice. Would you punish them. Would you set the record straight God. And you think you know that's a prayer that I can get behind. I like that kind of prayer. But you know, Jesus doesn't say here that we are to pray against them. He doesn't say that we are to pray about them in like some kind of a gossipy type of way. He just says that we are to pray for them. What might that look like? To pray that God would bless their business. To pray that God would give them a strong marriage. That God would give them joy in the midst of the difficult circumstances of life. These commands, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. What is uh, Jesus getting after here? What's at the heart of all of this? Have you ever heard of an Ishihara plate? An Ishihara plate may not be familiar, that term may not be familiar to you, but I I, I imagine that you probably have seen this before at at one time or another. We're going to put one up on the screen this morning, and uh, you probably have seen this, maybe even if you had never heard of the term before, but an Ishihara plate, it's a test. And it's a test for color blindness. Now, I know that it might be a little bit difficult because of the screen and everything being kind of far away. But you should be able to see something in this picture. And if you don't see something in this picture, there's a possibility, a very good possibility, that you at least have some level of color blindness. Uh, you should see the number 74 there. And there are these reddish-brown dots, and there are these greenish-blue dots there. And and if you can't make a distinction between the two, you're considered being colorblind. These commands. Do you know what Jesus is asking us to be here? Well, I I, I think if we're going to be like the Christ, then we need to be enemy-blind. There should be no distinction between how we treat our friends and how we treat our enemies. You say, well... I love my friends. Well, then be enemy blind and love your enemies. You know, I do nice things to my friends who do nice things for me. Well, be enemy blind and do nice things for people who don't do nice things for you. So what might that look like? Well, go with me for a moment to junior high school. And there is this group of junior high girls, and they're standing around this circle. And one of the girls, let's call her Chloe, uh, she's trying to live like the Christ. And in this circle, the name of one of Chloe's friends comes up in conversation. And some of the girls in this circle begin to make fun of and begin to talk bad about Chloe's friend. How would Chloe respond? Well, maybe she would start defending her friend. Maybe she would start bringing up some good qualities about that friend of hers. But what if we were to change the scenario once? Chloe's standing there in this circle, and the name of a girl that Chloe doesn't like, doesn't get along with all that much, comes up in conversation. And that girl begins to get made fun of, and that girl gets to be talked bad about. Now, if Chloe wants to be like the Christ, then she needs to be enemy blind. And she needs to do the same thing that she would do for a friend. She would defend that person. That where she can, she might try to say good qualities about that person. Now, these things don't just apply to junior hires, but they apply in the workplace. And they apply in the office and with our neighbors, maybe with our family members. That where is it that you need to be enemy blind? How do you treat the person who is coming after you? What kind of words do you use about them? Uh, Are you refusing to say anything nice about them? Do you pray for them? And not uh, praying down condemnation on them, but praying that God would show mercy and that he would bless them. Where do you need to be enemy blind? These are commands that Jesus gives here on what it means to be like the Christ. And I imagine that the people are standing there listening to Jesus teaching and they're saying, Okay, Jesus, it, it, is it just that simple? I mean, you're telling me that if I do these things that, that, that there's gonna, everything's going to be all right between me and my enemy. Well, it's not quite that simple. We move from the commands that Jesus gives to some case studies, some real life examples from Jesus and... He gives four examples here, beginning in verse 29. Here's what it says. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. From one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. So four scenarios here, Jesus says, if someone injures you, here's how you're supposed to respond. If someone sues you, and I think that's what's in view there in the second thing, this is a courtroom scene here. If someone asks asks something of you, and then if someone you don't like um, robs you or maybe defaults on a loan, here's what you're to do. Four scenarios that Jesus gives. And do these things maybe seem a little bit over the top to you? I mean, just think about this first one here. If someone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. The author of this book, uh, Luke, he's a historian. He traces the life of Jesus, what he wrote. Uh, He writes down what Jesus taught and how Jesus lived and Yet there's another author, uh, another follower of Jesus, a guy by the name of Matthew. And he writes as well about some of the things that Jesus taught about, some of the things that Jesus lived out in his life. And he talks about, he writes about this exact same teaching. Now, Matthew, in his account, gives a little extra detail when it comes to this particular scenario. And Matthew says this, But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, the idea is that most people are right-handed, okay? And and, and so if you're facing someone and you hit them with your right hand on the right cheek, you're going to have to backhand them, right? And, and, And that's a humiliating way to be hit, I mean, you think about fighting someone, you know, you're going to turn around, you're going to square up man to man, and you're going to go at it, you're going to fight each other. But to get backhanded? I mean, you only treat someone like that if if they're inferior to you, you know, that's an embarrassing way to be hit. What Jesus says here is to turn the other cheek. You say, uh, doesn't that seem a little bit over the top here? Are you saying, Jesus, that if I'm being assaulted, that I should just sit there and take it? Let him just whoop me, just beat me? Well, these are not the commands. Jesus has already given the commands. These are some case studies now that Jesus is getting, giving, and I think that he is intentionally using hyperbole here. He is intentionally going over the top here. You say, well, how do you know that, Jason? Well, let's go to the second example here for just a moment and look at this. Uh, From one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Now, I want you to envision a courtroom scene here. Someone being sued in that culture. And something of value would have been like their overcoat would have been the cloak that they were wearing. And Jesus says, you know what, if someone is coming after you and they want your cloak, well, just go and give them your tunic as well. Now, in that day and age, you would wear two layers of clothing. You had an outer wear, an outer garment, and an inner garment. And Jesus is saying, you know what, if someone is coming after your outer wear, well, just go ahead and give them your underwear as well. Just strip down naked right there in front of the courtroom. I mean, what a scene that must be. And, and, and I don't think that Jesus literally means that we're to do that here. I think that what Jesus is doing, he's intentionally going over the top here. He is intentionally using hyperbole in order to get to the heart of the matter. And so what is the heart of the matter here? Well, if someone hits you, what is it that you want to do back to them? If someone hits you, you want to hit them back, right? And so if, if someone comes after you, maybe in a courtroom scene, and, and what do you want to do? Well, you want to lawyer up and you want to uh, countersue and you want to go after them. You know, they hurt me, I'm going to hurt them. They embarrass me, I'm going to embarrass them. They cost me, I'm going to cost them. And what Jesus is saying here is no retaliation. Just, just because someone is coming after you doesn't mean that you now then need to go after them. Just because someone is nasty to you doesn't mean that you need to be nasty back to them. And there seems to be a little bit more going on here. If someone slaps you on one cheek, it doesn't say don't hit them back. It doesn't say don't retaliate. It says turn the other cheek as well. It's as if we're offering more to them. It doesn't say if someone takes your cloak, well, don't take their cloak. It says if someone takes your cloak, well, offer your tunic as well. It's as if you're offering more to them. In fact, that next scenario there in verse 30 says, Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Just let them keep it. I think what's at the core here is that Jesus is looking for a heart transformation. A heart that doesn't simply say, you know what, I'm going to get even here. But a heart that would turn and say, you know what, I'm going to even give. We naturally have these hearts that say, you know what, if you come after me, I'm going to get you back. But Jesus says that we should have hearts that say, if you come after me, I'll even give to you. I have to admit that I don't always get this right. Uh, I have one example though today of of a time where I think I came pretty close to getting it right. Several years ago, like 20 years ago, I was in college in Indiana. Myself and a couple of my friends, we decided that we wanted to go out to eat to a, a sit-down restaurant. And, you know, uh, there, there weren't a whole lot of options in the town that, that we were in uh, to go to, to eat, but uh, there was an Applebee's that had just opened up, and so we decided that we were going to go there. Now, we're broke college students. We don't have any money at all, and it's not very often that we would do something like this, but this was a special occasion. And so we go out to Applebee's, and I mean, what a way to spend a Friday night, right? But um, this is, we have a good time together. We're, we're heading back to our dorms. We're heading back to the campuses, and I realized that I had actually left my wallet on the uh, table there at the restaurant. And so we turn around, I'm like, we got to go back and I got to get my wallet. And we're like five minutes away, it's pretty close to campus. But we turn around, we go back to the the Applebee's so I can get my wallet. It's really close to closing time. Uh, Everybody had left, there was just a, a few people working there. And I run in and I ask if anybody had seen my wallet. Well, there's this lady standing there at the front and... And I'm describing it to her, and I'm saying it's a leather wallet, and it's got $40 in it, and I've got a license and a Blockbuster card because Blockbuster was a thing back then. I mean, Blockbuster was something you couldn't watch a movie unless you had a Blockbuster card. But this lady, she goes back into the back, and sure enough, she comes back with my wallet. And I am just so thankful that, that, that my wallet's been found. And I, I'm so thankful that I opened my wallet up right away and I'm, I'm ready to pull out $10 and give her $10 because I'm so happy that I got my wallet back. Well, I opened up my wallet and there is nothing in there except for my license and this blockbuster card. My $40 is gone. And I'm looking at this lady I'm saying, are you sure that there wasn't any money in here? And, and, and she says, no, that's how we got it. Seriously, that's everything. And in that moment, I have this deep pit in my stomach. I mean, $40 is a lot of money for a broke college student. And my mind is just racing with all kinds of things, like what kind of an evil person would steal money like this from a broke college student? And then I I get this smile. I smile the best smile that I could possibly smile. And, And I look at her and I say, thank you. Thank you so much for finding my wallet. Thank you so much for returning my wallet. I I don't know how I could ever repay your kindness. And I turn and I, I walk back out to the car and we drive back to the dorm. Now, my friends, uh, they're wanting to know what happened. And, and so I tell them, and their response is, wait a second. I mean, we were the only people there at the restaurant when we left. It was only uh, staff people there. It, somebody from on the staff, somebody who was working there at the restaurant had to have taken that money. It was somebody who worked there. Let's go back and get your money back. Let's go back and write a police report. Let's get this done. Now, like I said at the beginning, I don't always get this right. In that moment, though, something just kind of overcame me. And I believe that it was the Holy Spirit. Because as I was thinking about this new enemy light of mine, I just remember saying, you know what? It doesn't really matter about the money. I mean, after all, my money belongs to God. It's His anyways. And really, I don't know why God would take that money and give it to one of the workers at Applebee's. But clearly, they needed it much more than I did. And maybe they had some bills that they couldn't pay. And now they have the money to pay those bills. Or maybe, you know, this is a person who serves people all the time. And they never get to be served themselves. And, And now it's possible that they could go out to eat that is not a natural response right that's not my natural response but God is in the business of turning hearts that are so ready to get even ready to get revenge into hearts that want to give and I believe that if we are going to be like the Christ then we need to give to people that we don't like We have to be ready to give emotionally. We have to be ready to give financially. We have to be ready to give of ourselves. That we would turn from people who want to get even to people who want to even give. You think, now, how, why would you ever want to do that? I mean, why would would you want to extend yourself for someone who has been so mean to you? This is going to cost me something. It's going to cost me time. It's going to cost me money. Why would I ever want to do that for, for a person who has been mean to me? Well, Jesus talks about the commands. He talks about the case, the, these case studies here. And then finally, Jesus turns to some motivations. And beginning in verse 32, here's what we read. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your father is merciful. So Jesus is talking to these people around him. And he says, you know, those Roman soldiers that you don't like? You know, who do those Roman soldiers love? Well, they love their buddies. And and, and so if you love your buddies, if you love your friends, you're doing the exact same thing that they're doing. and, And you don't get extra credit for that. And those Roman authorities who are oppressing him, do you know who they do good to? They do good to the people who do good for them, and who do good for them. And and, uh, if you do good to people who do good things to you, then you're doing exactly the same thing they're doing. You, you, You don't get extra credit for that. There's nothing special about that. That's what people normally do. Jesus is saying here that if you want... Extra credit. If you want bonus points. Now, I know this might be a little bit juvenile here, but I wanted to give you a picture of something that you could kind of take home with you today. Jesus says, God is watching. And when you are a good person and you do good to people who aren't good to you, it's as if God is giving you credit for that. Right? Right? That, that, that when, you're, when you're saying nice things to people who don't say nice things about you, that, that you find nice things to say about them, that God is watching. And it's like he's giving you credit for that, that you receive credit. At the end of this teaching here, Jesus says, but love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be Great. Now, I want to put this piggy bank down for just a moment here. And I want to make something very crystal clear. There is a difference between a reward or a blessing that you receive because of your belief in Jesus Christ and a blessing that is based upon your behavior. Those are two very different things, okay? When we place our belief in Jesus Christ, we get 100% of God's love. We get 100% of God's acceptance, 100% of God's forgiveness. We, we fully have God's spirit living within us. And we are fully guaranteed a future life with him. Once we have placed our faith in Jesus, we receive those blessings. And those blessings do not change. But what Jesus is talking about here is the blessings that we receive based upon our behavior. These blessings are conditional. Those blessings are unconditional. These blessings are conditional. I I can't expect God to just bless me whenever I live however I want to. There are blessings that come when I live according to His way. One example of this is from the Old Testament. Uh, David David is the second king of Israel. The Old Testament describes him as a man after God's own heart, that he is I- incredibly close to God. David one day has an affair. He, he tries to cover this affair up uh, by having the husband murdered uh, of the wife that he had this affair with. And David is confronted by this prophet, a guy by the name of Nathan. And here's what Nathan says, speaking from, for, for God. Uh, this is 2 Samuel chapter 12. And he says, I give you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and, I, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord? To do what is evil in his sight. You have struck down Uriah the Hittite, that was the husband. You have struck him down with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonite. Now, God's saying, David, there was blessing that was in store for you if you would have just followed in my ways. If your behavior was godly, I would have added so much more. God is watching. He's watching. And when we are enemy blind, that that we treat our enemies like our friends. God notices that. And and he sort of credits that to us. There's a reward, there's a payout that will happen in the end, and it will be great. Now, I know that some of you are sitting here this morning and you're wondering, well, what's this reward going to be? And, you know, the Bible doesn't actually give specifics about this. The scriptures don't tell us specifics. Perhaps some of the reward might happen in this lifetime. That when we love our enemies, that God gives a blessing that is more immediate. That, that maybe there is some unexpected harmony in a relationship of ours. Or, or maybe life just gets a little more smooth. Maybe that reward happens more immediately, but maybe that reward happens later on in life. That, that when my heart can turn from wanting to get even to wanting to even give, it affects how uh, things go later on in my life. That, that maybe I don't end up growing up to be a crotchety old man, but instead I grow up to be an old man who finds joy in life, who, who finds uh, blessing in life, and who is a blessing to be around. Part of that reward might happen in the distant future when we meet God again. That maybe there will be some honor or prestige or influence that happens. Maybe that's part of the reward. You know, Jesus doesn't tell us here in this passage what the reward is. But but he gives it as a motivation. He, He says that one of the motivations ought to be that God is watching and he gives credit when we treat our enemies like friends. Now, maybe part of the reason why Jesus doesn't give the specifics of what the reward is is because this is a relatively low motivation. I, I mean, it, it is a motivation. There is motivation because we're going to be rewarded, but that's a low motivation. He has another one that he gives here that's a higher motivation, and it's in verses 35 and 36, and I want you to just see this again. Because it says there but love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. You think about the, the good things that God has created. You Think about things like the beach or mountains. Or trees and their leaves changing colors in the fall. The birds, the animals, food. Who did God create those things for? Did God only create those things for people who follow him? For people who are Christians? Only for believers? No. I mean, everyone gets to enjoy God's creation, right? If you're wicked and you live like the devil, you can still enjoy a beautiful day at the beach. You can enjoy a hike through the mountains. You you can still experience the beautiful colors of the leaves changing in in the fall. You can uh, enjoy the soothing sounds of birds chirping a warm apple pie on a fall evening. God has created those things for everyone to enjoy. When we love our enemies, when we do good to them... We're acting just like our Heavenly Father is acting. We're doing what He does. And what has God done for you? Well, for those of us who have experienced salvation, for those of us who have been redeemed by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, we have experienced a mercy and a grace that is unlike anything else that this world has to offer. The Bible says that before we came to faith in Jesus Christ, that we were enemies of His. That we wanted nothing to do with him. And yet he freely offered his forgiveness and his grace and his mercy to us. He showed tremendous love for his enemies. And so as we reflect on the enemies in our own lives. As we reflect on those that we don't get along with. It's so important for us to think about how we can show love to them. How we can be kind. How we can talk good about them. Because that's what it means to be like our Heavenly Father. That's what it means to be like the Christ. Let's pray.